give me shelter. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the sermon from the fourth Sunday of Easter, May 8th, 2022, from Christ Church, Jerusalem. On what is known as Good Shepherd Sunday, we look at the imagery of both the good and the bad shepherds found in Scripture from Genesis through Revelation. The shepherd of Psalm 23, Jesus the Good Shepherd, and the shepherd who leads to living water in the book of Revelation encourage us to listen and to follow him to meet our most fundamental human needs. You are invited to a unique trip to Poland, formerly the home of the largest Jewish community in the world. Join us this August as we embark on an in-depth study tour of this once vibrant Jewish community that flourished for almost 1,000 years before its tragic demise. This tour, led by David Pelegi, will take us through a wide swath off the beaten path through eastern and southern Poland, from Warsaw to Bialystok, from Lublin in the east to Krakow in the south. We will visit beautiful medieval cities, castles, synagogues, churches, and abandoned cemeteries to better understand the historical context of the Polish-Jewish experience and the ways that Poles and Jews have deeply influenced each other. We will not ignore the traumatic events of the two world wars and will devote a considerable portion of our time to discussing the final solution. We will use the insights of historians to help us understand why and how so many ordinary Germans became willing accomplices in the murder of Poland's three million Jews. This study tour is designed to help us better our prayer life, sharpen our stand against anti-Semitism, and hopefully give us more courage to be faithful witnesses as Christians in our opposition against the idolatry and deceptions of our day. Join us August 6th through 17th, 2022, for this walk through history. Land cost is 1,749 euros, less than $1,900 US. For details and to register, visit narrowbridgetour.com. Narrowbridgetour.com. Our worship continues now with the public reading and study of the Word of God. Very important. So let's open our ears and our hearts to hear what the Spirit has to say to us tonight. Our first scripture reading is taken from Revelation 7, verses 9 to 17. Revelation 7, verses 9 to 17. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they sang out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, 
These in white robes, who are they, and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb will be the center of the throne, will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Our second reading is from Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel portion is from the gospel of John, chapter 10, beginning at, in verse 22. We are about to hear our king speak. And when you're on the earth in presence of kings and they talk, you stand up. How much more from heaven? Please stand as we honor our Lord and, and Master. The good news, according to John. Now then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, once again, we come as the sheep of your pasture. Lord, we pray that uh, your son, Jesus, the good shepherd, the shepherd of our souls, will lead us, provide for us, and ultimately, Lord, 
enable us to overcome our fears and our doubts and to fully trust in your goodness, whatever may happen to us. Lord, we ask that you would do this work in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I never knew that the fourth Sunday after Easter was Good Shepherd Sunday. And it seems that uh, in many church traditions, um, every year during the three-year lectionary cycle, a portion or a some of John chapter 10 uh, is read along with Psalm 23. And uh, to be honest with you, I always thought, what more can a preacher add to so many fine sermons on Jesus yes, declaring himself to be the good shepherd? But uh, ultimately, when it uh, comes to preaching, we're only paid to remind you things, you know, that uh, hopefully you already know, but perhaps have forgotten. And so if this is a reminder, so be it. But um, our, our passage today actually has a nice connection with what we read and discussed last Sunday. Last Sunday was Peter being reconciled to Jesus. And Jesus uh, goes looking for Peter. Uh, he reestablishes a relationship with Peter. Of course, as we mentioned before, there's, there's no recrimination where Jesus doesn't point his finger and say, I told you so. But neither does Jesus let Peter off the hook. And Peter, um, Jesus will ask Peter three times, do you love me? Not perhaps or maybe perhaps because Peter denied him three times, but because what Jesus, I think, was really trying to get at. Yes, did, Pete, does, uh, did Peter, and perhaps do we, understand, yes, how Jesus defines love? And uh, ask, after asking Peter, yes, if he, uh, if he loved him, then Jesus would go on to say, feed my sheep, right? Peter, be a pastor, you know? And it's interesting, isn't it? Just whatever, we, whatever debate or whatever discussion we want to have on, uh, on the role of Peter uh, in that incident, yes, Jesus makes it clear that they're not Peter's sheep, that they're his sheep. And that... Uh, image or metaphor of uh, the shepherd is, of course, seen in all, is uh, prominent in all three readings. Uh, is it not? It certainly is a theme that runs through the Bible or runs um, uh, throughout the scripture. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but uh, it, it begins in Genesis when uh, Jacob is about to pass from this earth and go to his reward, he um, tells his family, he says um, that God has been his shepherd all the days uh, of his life. Uh, and so perhaps that might be the first mention 
of God as a shepherd. And shepherds um, were, as you might say, uh, sometimes had a bad reputation, but still at the same time, uh, kings uh, in the Middle East, uh, rulers, were oftentimes seen as shepherds. And their primary job as being a shepherd over their people, or someone who uh, would tend the flock, their primary job was to provide protection for their people. Yes, that is the purpose, was a purpose of a Middle Eastern king. Yes, to provide protection, to provide security, perhaps maybe not only physical security, perhaps psychological security, emotional security, spiritual security as well. And any king, yes, who could not provide that security was a failure for one reason or another. Maybe it wasn't his fault necessarily, but still his government, his regime would would not certainly not be a successful one. And even to this day, is it not true? We expect all kinds of things from a government, probably too many things, but still, I think most people in most places expect the ruling authorities, yes, to keep law and order and to provide general security. And again, when they don't, the legitimacy of that government is certainly not going to uh, be, uh, be very high. In fact, I was just reviewing something to get ready for this tour. We're taking the Poland. And I was rereading the, um, uh, a discussion uh, about how was it exactly possible that the Germans were able to murder relatively easily six million Jews. Well, it turns out that in those countries where the Germans totally, totally destroyed the local government, it's in those very places where they had uh, the most success in their campaign of murder. So for example, Estonia and Denmark had about the same number of Jews. Estonia never had a long history of anti-Semitism. Quite the contrary, just like Denmark. All the, Den all the Jews of Denmark were saved, but all the Jews of Estonia were murdered. Why is that? Because there was a local administration and a local government in place that actually, despite the German occupation, helped those Jews escape, right? So without that security, right, as we saw during the Second World War in places like Poland or the Ukraine or the Baltic states, then chaos reigns, yes, chaos reigns. And with chaos comes not confusion and murder and lawlessness, right? And the most unspeakable things. And so Psalm 23, yes, which portrays God as a king, yes, is God, sorry, God is a shepherd, the king who is a shepherd, is going to address the most basic and most fundamental of human fears. 
And so let's look at the psalm for just a minute, even though it's so familiar to all of us. And it is a very beautiful, beautiful psalm. And I know many of you, or some of you, have heard me mention uh, this previously. But Psalm 23, the context of that psalm, is very often uh, misunderstood. Uh, we have big, there are many books uh, and, or teaching videos, uh, and they all show us some uh, very well-scrubbed white fat sheep grazing on a very, very, very green hillside. Yes, you, you might even have a picture in your Bible, yes, of uh, such a scene. And underneath it'll say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah. Or you might have a picture of such in the church office. Yes. Or some of you may even secretly have a picture somewhere. Well, I always tell people if you have such you have such an idol anywhere, yes, to be found anywhere in your possession, you should either rip it up or pull it down from the wall. Right? Because it's deceiving. Because Psalm twenty three is a psalm that is written about the Judean desert. You know, just 20, 15 miles from here, 22 kilometers from here is the Dead Sea. Between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea going eastward is a very small but dry desert where only uh, a minimal amount of rain falls every year. And it's in this context, right, that the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is this, the Lord God himself is a king. And even with that, those first opening words, we should get the hint, should we not, that this is a, going to be a God who takes care of us. Um, I... The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And to say this about life in the Judean desert takes a huge amount of trust and a huge amount of faith. Because that desert is dangerous. And the circum the 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 um what you, what, what shall we say the the things that could happen to anyone in the desert. Well, he leads me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, that's because grass is so rare. And food for the animals is not uh, easily to be found, especially in the summer months. He leads me besides quiet waters. And why does he lead me beside quiet waters? Because the because one could easily die from, a fl from floods, right? Flash floods are a danger. And every year, we in this country lose um, shep Bedouin shepherds or experienced hikers uh, end up losing their lives, all right, because of, one, uh, because of flash floods that occur during the winter and the spring. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Well, it's easy to get confused and easy to get lost. And even though I walk through the valley, through the darkest valley, or walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. Yeah. So here are the here are uh, the, these basic basic human fears. Now this takes place in a desert where uh, supply you might say is scarce where there's not a lot of abundance. But you know you don't we, we don't have to live in a desert or live uh, in uh, in a trial or live through any period of difficulty. And I think as human beings, we all have those same fears. Yes. Even in a land where, uh, in a country where Amazon delivers by drone, yes, and supermarkets are open 24-7, and uh, credit card debt is easy to, to pile up, we still fear, wait a minute, am I going to know the right way? Um, is God going to provide for me? Is God going to care for me? What about my security? What about my future? What about the future of my children? Right? This is how, by the way, this is how we got into the mess to begin with. We got into the mess to begin with because there was a couple by the name of Adam and Eve. And along comes a serpent, uh, and the serpent sows a doubt or two. And um, I think it's pretty easy to imagine what thoughts went through their head. Like, you know what? Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe he's got something really good, but he doesn't want to somehow, he doesn't want to share it with me. You know, maybe there's something better. There's something more. And so Adam and Eve listen to a voice. And that voice, of course, brings great, uh, it brings, uh, you might say, sorrow uh, into the world. Sorrow generation after generation, because with sin comes death. And so here you have the Lord but there's another voice, the voice of the shepherd, right? And this voice of the shepherd is leading, it's, he's providing, he's caring for his people. And then from verse 3 onwards, verse uh, 5 onwards, you prepare, it's, the metaphor switches. God is no longer a shepherd, but God is a generous host with a catering company. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right? You prepare a table for me in the wilderness, as another psalm says. There is, there is abundance in a place where there's scarcity. Um, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I mean, the, the oil here reminds me of, of the, the, one of the purposes of, of oil is for, is for healing. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where is their ultimate security and ultimate supply? Right? Where is the place where we um, will find uh, God's, you might say, God's provision in its most abundance? According to this, I think it's the house of the Lord. 
right? It's the house of the Lord. And the context surely must be one of worship. And throughout the scripture, right, this picture of the shepherd becomes more important. Because when we get to Ezekiel, especially Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, God has some harsh, harsh things to say about the clergy. The Bible is never easy on the clergy, by the way, or on those who are in church leadership. And in chapter 34, God says, look, you know, I, uh, you wanted kings. I gave you kings. Your kings are failures. They are not caring and providing for the sheep. And so therefore, I'm imposing direct rule from heaven. I will come down. I will come down and find the sheep, the scattered sheep, and I will be their shepherd. And in fact, Ezekiel 34, in one place, almost echoes what we read in the Psalms, or in Psalm 23. Now we'll read in verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will search for my sheep and look after them, as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. And I'm going to continue in verse 15. I, will, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And later the scripture goes on to say, not only is God going to do this, but I will place over them, yes, one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them, and he will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So here we have a descendant of David, a messianic expectation. And what, what, is, the, what is tied to this expectation? Yes, is that this Messiah will be the one who shepherds, the ones who brings, you might say, healing to the flock, the one who regathers the, God's people. Pretty amazing. Remember when, it's interesting when Jesus, and especially in Matthew's gospel, always talks about his compassion. And just before Jesus uh, tells the disciples, you know, you need to pray that workers will go out into the harvest. Yes, it says that he looks upon the crowds and he has compassion on them because they are sheep without a shepherd, right? He has compassion on them. And John chapter 10, Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd. Now, why the good shepherd? Because uh, in chapter 9, we encounter some of the religious leadership of the day. Uh, and that religious leadership is condemn was condemned by Jesus. Yes, because while they might shear the sheep and benefit from the sheep, yes, in the end, they don't really care for the sheep. They don't actually love the sheep. And so they're... Uh, Jesus understands them. We understand them to be bad shepherds. 
bad shepherds. And Jesus, to the contrary, what does he say? He says, you know, I'm the good shepherd because I lay down my life for the sheep. Right? And that's actually, by the way, what Jesus was trying to get Peter to understand, that his understanding and his definition of love fundamentally is self-giving and self-sacrifice. And that's what it means to love. And that's what he was challenging Peter about. He was saying, Peter, do you really love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Do you, are you willing to, are you willing to give, give all? Are you willing to live a life of giving or live a life of sacrifice, even to the point that it might cost you your life? And then Jesus says, tend my sheep, which is a pretty thankless job. Uh, you know, feed my lambs. Sheep bite sometimes, by the way, and so do lambs. And Jesus further says, I know my sheep, right? I know them intimately, and I call them by name. And the passage that Aaron just read says, you know, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. And so I'd like to consider something else here. And perhaps this is a little bit of a different take on the passage. We still, as a community, we still need shelter and we still need protection. Psalm 23 was more about the, our physical protection or the, our physical needs. But here I think Jesus is also pointing to something uh, even more important, right? Spiritual protection. And when we hear the voice of Jesus, and it says that we follow him, yes, what happens is we become attached to Jesus. Yes, there's an attachment between Jesus and his people. We become his family. We become his community. And if we accept the invitation to believe in him, and may I remind you again that the word for uh, belief in John's gospel. Uh, it's not a noun, it's a verb. It's something that you do. Uh, it is trust. It is abiding in him. It is being attached to him, being stuck to him. But also, again, reading John and reading the epistles, because the epistles of John are in some ways commentaries on the gospel of John, and they sort of expand and explain what might be left mysterious in the gospel. Yeah. What it means to yeah, believe is to have an active commitment to Jesus, not just to the Jesus who we dream up, or the G Jesus we might see on television or the popular version of, no, having a commitment to Jesus and who he claims to be. It's how the gospel ends, if you remember the gospel of John, most, one of the most beautiful uh, endings. It's told that uh, all of these things, 
were um, all of these signs. They were written for us that we may believe, literally, that is written for us, that we may know that Jesus, or believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, right, by being committed to him and staying committed to him, we may have life, divine life in his name. Yes, may have, may have divine life in his name. And I think here we come to, you know, the need, again, to be protected. I think if we are committed to him and we follow him and we listen to that voice, then all those false shepherds or bad shepherds, and they could be our religious leaders, unfortunately, or they could be our political leaders, or they could be our cultural trends, uh, the things, you know, the latest fad, the, you know, the, the latest big thing, you know, that uh, very often we fall for. Yeah, all of those things will be exposed. Yes, all of those things will come into the light, right, of Jesus and his teaching. And he will protect us from those things. Because he's he, earlier in 10, he says, I want to bring you into my sheepfold. Right? Again, it's a place of shelter. It's a place of protection. And all these ideologies and many people, right, uh, or even, again, some, unfortunately, we don't need to focus on the Pharisees and what they did wrong 2,000 years ago. There's enough tragedy, you might say, and enough sin, yeah, enough ego, um, and enough, um, there's a, enough leaders uh, in the Christian community uh, who, are, who are there or who are here with us and it's not for the right reason, right? It's not for the right reason. And again, I think this is what Jesus, by creating this community and creating an attachment, he protects us and shelters us from these things, the things that can so easily harm us. And by the way, we can include on this list self-deception. Yes, because when we walk in the light or when we do the truth, Right? Our self-deception is exposed. And surely we can include the works of the devil as well. You know, everyone wants to be, a, every, all of us as human beings, we have the, the, the greatest need to be attached to something, to be a, connected to something. Even those who claim to be uh, um, uh, loners of some kind or another, Yes, and here Jesus is saying, uh, saying simply to us, you know, I am, your, I am the good shepherd. I give you eternal life. You belong to me, and nothing can snatch you out of my hand, right? Nothing can snatch you out of my hand. The invitation is to come and belong to Jesus. He does say, and to follow me as well. That's the invitation, that's the voice that we should be listening to. But some of you who've read the text carefully might say, but it sounds like, you know, 
Jesus has already chosen his few. And uh, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of free will involved in all this. You know, as we just read, and at the beginning of chapter 10, it tells us that uh, Jesus did these miracles, right, so that we can believe. So the invitation is for us to hear that voice uh, and to follow. And finally, in our first reading, I think it sums it up really beautifully, because um, that, you might say, that fear, that human fear uh, that most of us don't really like to admit to or to talk about is a fear of death. And it's a fear that somehow our life won't count for anything and that life will be meaningless. Yeah, life will be meaningless. But let me read you about, let, before we turn to our passage, let's hear about another voice, also from the book of Revelation, a voice that should encourage us. This isn't only the voice of a shepherd, but it's the voice of God himself. It says in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, here's the voice. Yes, here's the, the loud voice saying, look, God's dwelling place is now with the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. That's not even our passage. Our passage comes from seven. And in John chapter seven, sorry, book of Revelation chapter seven, yes, we read the following. It says, um, those who came out of the great tribulation, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Where are they to be found? And where is the ultimate presence? Or sorry, where is the ultimate security? The ultimate security is in the presence of the Lord, just as we read in Psalm 23. And just as, uh, no different actually than what Jesus offers. Because when Jesus offers eternal life, it's not merely, and I don't demean this in any way, but it's not merely what happens to us after we die, but it's fellowship with the Father through the Son now. It's a sharing in that divine life. It's a sharing in, uh, in uh, God's presence, you might say. Never again, remember our shepherd, in Psalm 23, never again will they hunger, 
Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. The lamb, the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So many people are motivated, not well, motivated, or have this gnawing sense about their future. What's going to happen to me when I die? Does my life count for something? Was all this suffering and difficulty and tribulation that I experienced, does it mean something or count for something? Is there any eternal significance in all of these things? And here, once again, we have a shepherd who calls upon us, who speaks to us, who invites us yeah, to trust in him. He is able to overcome our fears. He is able to overcome our physical needs to rescue us in the most difficult of circumstances. Is able to protect us spiritually, to give us divine life, which begins now and continues after we die. And I think in all of these passages we read, there's a voice. There's a voice, the voice of God who loves, the voice of Jesus who loves the sheep who wants to shepherd us, to care for us and to provide for us, and to enable us to overcome all of those fears, yes, whatever they may be, that hold us back. The invitation is one of divine fellowship and sharing in that divine life. And it begins when we start to trust and it gets deeper when we start to abide and that relationship gets deeper when we start to follow him and to obey his commandments. Remember, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and my father and I will come and make our home in you or with you, meaning the relationship gets more intimate. The relationship gets deeper. Yeah, it's not just a one-time deal. It starts when we say yes to Jesus. That's a good start. But hopefully we will continue, right, to trust and continue to abide and continue to be more obedient and in the process, right? In the process we come to that place of ultimate healing and wholeness. And we can finally fully, completely, without much doubt, maybe with no doubts, yeah, put, uh, surrender ourselves to him, knowing that God has a good future for us. You know, I suppose if I summed it all up in one sentence, it really wouldn't be... <clears throat> any different than what St. Paul has to say in Romans chapter 8. Yeah? 
let's put it, let's paraphrase it. If God the shepherd is for us, who can be against us? Yes, if God the shepherd is for us, who can be against us? And let's pray. Father, we do pray. We pray as your people. Lord, we pray because we're hesitant, because sometimes we're suspicious of your good intentions. Uh, Lord, sometimes we're bitter because of things that have happened to us in life. Uh, many of us really haven't experienced you fully as the good shepherd. We indeed pray that uh, we will know your goodness and uh, we will know your blessings and that uh, ultimately you will lead us to springs of living water and wipe away every tear. And we do ask these things that you may be glorified in our midst. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.